Kwame Alexander is an American writer of both poetry and children's fiction. His verse novel, The Crossover, won the 2015 Newbery Medal, recognising the year's most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. His latest title, Rebound, has been shortlisted for both the Carnegie Medal and Clipper Award and will also appear on the Year 6 book list for the 2019-20 Reading Gladiators programme. Kwame met recently with Nicky Gamble to talk about Rebound and his other work. I wonder, Kwame, whether we could actually start with a reading from the book. Absolutely. Um, And the first bit, the chapter or the section called Looking Back could be a really good start. It was the summer when now and laters cost a nickel and the fantastic for a buck. When I met Harriet Tubman and the Harlem Globetrotters, it was the hottest summer after the coldest winter ever when a storm shattered my home into a million little pieces and soaring above the sorrow and grief seemed impossible. It was the summer of 1988 when basketball gave me wings and I had to learn how to rebound on and off the court. Welcome to your life There's no turning back Even while we dream We will find you acting on your best behavior Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to Yeah, Nikki, this is a book about a boy who's just trying to find his place in the world. And a boy who's had a trauma in his life, and uh, the book deals with how he learns to cope with that trauma. Um, One of the things that really affected me in a good way um, was the relationships within the story. And it seemed to me that everybody was trying to cope with their problems on their own and actually had to learn to come together through this story. We are sort of better equipped to deal and heal with those very real things that are happening in our lives when we have a support system, when we have friends, when we have family, when we allow those people who care about us to help us. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, that Charlie's obviously suffering Um, but is quite unaware, really. You read between the lines, and as an adult, certainly you know that his mother must be suffering too. But he doesn't really see that at the beginning, does he? When do we all really see it? Like, even as adults, we're dealing with stuff in our lives that a lot of times we don't even know the extent to which we're dealing with it. But it impacts us. Mm. It impacts us physically, emotionally, spiritually, we don't really know the extent of it. But I think having people around you, they can point it out. They can call you on it, like Charlie's mother does. Mm-hmm. Like, look, uh-uh, you can't, you can't act like that. I raised you better than this. Mm-hmm. And it makes you stop and sort of take notice. I can't stress the importance, how, like, how much I tell my daughter all the time, it's important that you really look at the people who are around you. Because they're going to play a big role in whether you succeed or fail in this life. Mm -hmm. I try to surround myself with people who are smart, who are um, caring, who are loving, who are giving. Because 
it reminds me that I got to be all those things, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. So um, one of the things that happens to Charlie in this uh, novel, um, when he becomes Chuck, <laughs> is that he, his mother can't cope. Uh, or well, I wouldn't say she can't cope, but she feels she that needs she a will break. cope better on her own. <laughs> right, That's right. what she feels. Right. And she sends him away to stay with his grandparents yeah. for the summer, where... Um, he encounters quite a lot of wisdom, not only from his grandparents, but from his cousin, Roxy. Right. Too. What a great character she right? is. Yeah. I loved her. I loved writing her. I loved being able to write a strong, empowered, funny, confident girl. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what I've been around but with my sisters and my daughters and my wife and, and my mother. And mm-hmm. So I wanted to write that mm-hmm. that girl. I felt like that was important. You know, and Chuck, you know, at the beginning of the novel, does not know how to play basketball. Mm. And in Crossover, um, which is the next book, his his sons are basketball players, and you learn that they know how to play because of him. So how is it that he learned how to play? And how cool is it that he learned from his, his cousin, Roxy? Yeah. You know, that she taught him how to play yeah. and gave him the confidence to think that it's not just about making the last shot. But you got to have the confidence to take it mm. or you're never going to make it. Yeah. And I think that's uh, emphasized again by his granddad at the end. says so you've got to get the ball and you've got to keep shooting. You've just got to keep shooting. My grandparents were like, my, especially my grand, well, both of them, my grandmother, my grandfather, they were, they were just huge influences on me. Mm. I remember one day I was, I went to pick, my, pick up my grandfather from work and he was about 77 and I had my girlfriend with me. I was maybe 17. And we went inside, my girlfriend and I, to get him. And he walked out with sort of a, you know, he was he was very old. And he was walking with a limp. And and he got to the car. And I went around to the driver's seat to get in the car. And he was like, hey, get back over here right now. And he, I walked back. I was like, yes, sir. And he said, you always open the door for a young lady. Mm-hmm. So he made me open the door for her. Like I remember that to this day, and that happened like thirty years ago, yeah. thirty-five years ago. So I find that I learned a lot from my grandparents, and I really wanted to write that story so that Chuck could learn a lot about life mm-hmm. on and off the court from his family, in particular his grandparents and Roxy. Yeah, and his granddad's not an easy man to like necessarily at the beginning. The relationship grows and it develops but there's a line in there that if there's one line that I were to pick out that struck me it's about owning the sadness don't let the sadness own you what does that mean to you none of us are ever prepared for death mm-hmm. how do you lose someone like what's the what's the protocol for that i don't have the answer you know, but having experienced it with my own mother passing away, I know that some of the ability to keep moving forward has to come from the memories. It has to come from those moments that you can look back on and say, those are pretty precious, Mm. you know? And I think in that regard, You don't let the sadness just overwhelm you constantly. 
you have those things that you can pinpoint and say, I remember her turkey. I remember her turkey and noodles that she made for me on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I remember the birthday cake that we shared when I was three years old in a Howard Johnson's hotel. I remember all of the precious memories. Mm-hmm. I wondered whether, because jazz is a theme through this too, mm-hmm. I wondered whether jazz is a way of owning the sadness because you have to have kind of control over music when you're playing and yet you express through music you can express quite deep emotion well very deep emotion well let's find out precious memories fade like grass they say all my memories of you are fresh as yesterday Give the best years of my life for one hour of your time. But that gets tricky, I get greedy. Never want to leave your side. I need you like a tree needs sun to grow. I need you like a heart needs blood to flow. And you promised you would care for me. And in all the times I cannot see, I feel your presence here with me always. Here with me always, Mama. It's a metaphor, my grandfather says, as we drive by several big white buildings on either side of us. Jazz music is like an automobile. That's a simile I correct which makes my cousin Roxy laugh. Pay attention now, he continues. If jazz were a car, Miles Davis would be a convertible black Mustang GT. Coltrane would be the Corvette. And Thelonious Monk, well, that cat would probably be a vintage Fiat. Jazz is smooth and slick, and it takes you places anywhere you want to go. Anywhere you want to go. Are you you clearly a jazz fan? I love jazz. I love music. But jazz is, I write to jazz. Right. Tell me about Horace Silver. Oh, filthy McNasty, a mythical man-child of rather dubious distinction. (laughs) (laughs) I discovered Horace Silver in a Panera Bread. Do you all have Panera Bread here? No. It's a coffee house in the United States that serves, it's a chain that serves Mm. sandwiches and bagels and Mm. breakfast and lunch food. So I would go there to write every day, Mm -hmm. and I would listen to Pandora, to instrumental jazz music. And one day I was listening and heard this song, and it just rocked my world. And I said, I've got to figure out a way to include this song in the book. And, of course, the name of it, as I discovered, was Filthy McNasty. Mm. And I decided that would be the main character's nickname. Mm. And then I gave it a whole backstory that found its way into the prequel, Rebound. I had to sort of give its origin story, how that song came into their family. And it was a record that that Chuck's grandfather had, and he played it to remind him of his son. So you say you write to jazz, and when, when you hear the words off the page... You wouldn't necessarily, some of them, you wouldn't necessarily know that you're reading a verse novel until you look at it on the page. The look of it's really important. 
But then, as you were talking about jazz being there in the background, the way it looks on the page really emphasises that syncopated mm. rhythm. Is that something that you're consciously doing? Absolutely. I mean, I I can't claim credit for that because I borrowed that from like the like Dean or or the the Bard of of Harlem, you know, of Harlem literature, Langston Hughes, mm -hmm. who wrote in that jazz sort of syncopation, who used that rhythm. And then you think of poets from the 1960s, like Ted Jones and Nikki Giovanni and Sonia Sanchez, and they used that same sort of, you know, jazz motif throughout their work, and they were inspired by those rhythms. Mm -hmm. So I think music plays a big role in my work. There are different kinds of um, writing through this novel. There's the, the speech, and then we have you mimicking the game of basketball itself. I loved some of those uh, passages where you really felt that you were following the ball in your writing. Uh, tell me a little bit about the process that you go through to write those things. Kick so hot, his feet glow. Move so cold, you see snow. Tall as a cypress tree, bro. Game so lit, make seeds grow. In your face, 3D show. Game so deep, it's below. Air so swift, you breathe slow. Watch me fly from the free throw. Superman is sweet, yo. But Nikki is my hero. <laughs> Hey. hey! Do you it's, bounce the ball while you're writing? It starts with sort of the thinking of the ball on the court yeah. and the rhythm of it. It started with the rhythm. Mm, 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 mm. And once I get the rhythm, then it's like, okay, well, what do I want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about sneakers first. I want to talk about he's at the court and he's watching the game and he wishes he could play and he wishes he could be like them. And his kicks so hot and his kicks. Ooh, look at his sneakers. Those sneakers so those kicks those kicks so hot. What happens to his feet? Well, if it's hot, then it's, oh, it's sunlight. It's, it's shining. It's glistening. It's, it, his feet are glowing. Mm -hmm. His feet are glowing. His kicks so hot. His feet glow. Mm -hmm. Moves. And then we're going to go sort of the opposite direction. If his kicks so hot, now we're going to sort of show the dichotomy of it. Well, his moves. What's like a word I could use to show his, show his moves are really on it? He's got moves. Well, cold. Like in... African-American vernacular in slang from the 70s. Um, if you say something's cold, that's cold, yo. That's cold. That's cold-blooded. <laughs> cold means that's hot. That's good. That's, that's nice. So moves so cold. Kicks so hot. His feet glow. Moves so cold. Well, now what's going to work with the metaphor of cold? Well, um, freezing, um, ice. Yeah, but now we need to make it rhyme you know, with glow. Okay, well, snow. Mm -hmm. Moves so, you know, kicks so hot, his feet glow. Moves so cold, you see snow. So now it's just like I'm in the rhythm. Now it's just like using my vocabulary, dictionary, mm -hmm. thesaurus, just figuring out what words are going to work. Poetry is about using the right words in the right order. Yeah. So listening to you um, almost construct poetry in front of me there... <laughs> How much of that is done verbally and how much of it is done on the paper? It's happening simultaneously. Mm. It's writing and sort of thinking it and verbalizing it. It's mm. all one. You can't, I don't necessarily separate it because mm. I'm doing them all at the same time the thinking, the speaking, and the writing.
It's one connected thing. Interesting. Well. Mm. So Charlie is a bit of a comics geek, um, a real fan. He's got a particular superhero, the Black Panther. Yeah. Um, comics part of your reading diet when you were growing up? A little bit. Like I, I read, I read the dictionary, and I read my father's books because those were the books I had to read. But I'd be at my cousin's house and I'd read a comic, or I'd, mm. be, I'd be at my best friend's house and I'd read some comics. Um, they weren't as big a part of my life as they are for Chuck. And um, what is it that they um, give Chuck in particular? Do you think the superhero is a good model of a hero for him? I mean, for him it is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, it was definitely a way for him to A, get engaged with text. B, it was every kid wants to be bigger than life, you know? They want to be a superstar or a superhero or just be cool. So you got that. And then you think about the metaphor of how do you deal with the woes of the world as a kid. And you can feel empowered sometimes by how the Black Panther faced his challenges and overcame them. You know? And it's not necessarily literal. It's metaphorical. I want to ask you about the moment in the novel where Charlie gets himself into, or almost gets himself into, some deep trouble. And it becomes really evident in your novel how thin that line is, how easy it is to be drawn into trouble, even when you're not looking to make that choice. And his granddad gives him some advice. Again, he's good, that granddad. He's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And he more or less says to him, you know, you, you've got the choice of either rolling with the people who stick to the rules or those that break the rules. So it puts the responsibility back on him. There's on a the big question. question in there. Yeah. And I think my father, he makes a statement to me. It's like a, a lesson he'll, he'll, he'll share with me. And I don't even know if I fully understand it. Maybe you understand it. He says, never surround yourself with people who have less to lose than you do. Mm. What does that mean? I think it means it's, it's the same thing. Like, if there are people who their, their chance or their success in life is on a thinner line and they're making choices mm. because they have less to lose than you do, and your choices are the one... You're looking at their choices saying, maybe I'll go with that choice. But if they have, you know, maybe they... they have a couple less options than you do. You have the option uh, of going to college. You, they have the option of going to prison or selling drugs. Got it. That's so he, my thought on it. So, so that's Randy Preston. And again, he's been playing guitar for us, by the way. We should yes, mention that. Yes, and <laughs> and so that just speaks to, again, who are you? Who's in your circle? Who's in your life? And Randy's been in my life for a while, and I think if you have people in your life who have similar ambition or even more than you do who have similar talents or even more than you do who have as much love and verve for embracing life as you do if not more you really can't help but trust that you are going to be okay around them and in fact you may be better you know, and that's what Granddad is trying to teach Chuck. Yeah, you gotta look out for who's in your circle. Yeah, 
I picked that up because I found that a really interesting point. It's a different point from just saying you have to make the right choices. And most books or most literature for children says you've got to make the right choices. But this is actually saying you've got to choose the right people. And in a way that kind of pulls against this, you know, you you need to get on with everybody. You need to open up your life to experiencing many different people. But... Here we have a point which is be careful who you choose to surround yourself with. And it's like not saying you can't be acquaintances mm-hmm. or be cordial and nice, but who are the people that you want, you know, who do you want to ride with? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be in that in that car on the journey with you? Mm-hmm. And that's not everybody. If I'm driving 12 hours straight and you can't drive, mm-hmm. I don't need to be in the car with you. I think this book does a great job of highlighting that to the nth degree, I mean, with the whole ending of that, it, it's it's so evident that this is not something that he was like, let's go and dun da da yeah. He was like, oh, wow, I'm here? How did I get here? How did I get here? And that's, that, I think that's the experience of a lot of kids. That's a real, like, I have friends who've said to me, I know how I got in this situation. I'm not even sure. They don't know. And I think what granddad is saying is you got to be aware of where you are and who you're with. Because you're going to find yourself in a situation like, eh, you know, it's, it sucks to have to say, it wasn't my fault. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Now, contrarily, wouldn't it be great to say, to find yourself as a musician playing on stage with Bruce Springsteen? Right. right, right, and wondering how in the world did I how get did here? here? Mm. Right. So it can work both ways. Yeah, the right. idea is to surround yourself with people who are going to uplift you and not bring you down. Right. Or shooting a few hoops with the Harlem Globetrotters, maybe. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, having and having your cousin sit there fuming because she she didn't get picked. I know. I can't <laughs> I tell so... you. I was on her side. Right. I we all were. We all were. <laughs> We all were. Yeah, but it's right that that's how it uh, worked out. But just before we leave this, it seems that we've uh, gone into the you know the really deep areas of the book. Um, but it's fun too, isn't it? Right. And it there's is. a lot of basketball playing in right. there. Um, how important is sport for young people? Do you do you think? I think it's a great metaphor mm. for our lives. I think obviously there's physical. And, you know, sort of emotional advantages to being physically active and learning about competition. I have a 10-year-old daughter, and we play Monopoly at home. We play horse. We shoot baskets at home. And she's extremely competitive. And she does not know how to lose. She gets upset with me. And I went to her school for the award ceremony. And at the awards ceremony, her gym teacher presented awards for the class. And she got the sportsmanship award. And I was like, how is this possible? (laughs) Who is this kid? That's not my kid. (laughs) She got the sportsmanship award. So it let me know two things. One, that obviously some of the stuff we're trying to teach her at home, even though she may not exhibit it at home, she's learning it. When she gets out to the world, out in the world, she knows how to act. And number two, the sports that she's involved in, she's learning how to be that kind of person who's kind and competitive, mm. who's giving and active, who does, who knows how to have that balance. 
Um, but I find that sports, um, in particular basketball, which I use in 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 rebound is and crossover, is is a great way to frame the story to get kids to want to pick up the book mm-hmm. and to keep turning the page. But ultimately, Nikki, the mm-hmm. books aren't about sports. Mm-hmm. They're about life. Mm-hmm. They're That's about good. friendship and family and crushes and, and how do I sort of make my way in this world. Yeah. Coming um, of age. And that's why we probably left that question to the end, because the other things were much more significant in terms of what the story is about. Right. Kwame, thank you so much for uh, talking to me uh, this afternoon in the Reading Corner. Randy, thank you so much for, the, for the songs. <laughs> thank uh, you, It's Nikki. been really nice to Thanks meet you. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues. Just Imagine also has a free fortnightly newsletter packed full of the latest news, CPD training, reviews and giveaways. To sign up, visit justimagine.co.uk forward slash newsletter.